What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of It's Giving, where we discuss the latest and greatest in TV and film. I'm your host, Brandon the Introvert, and in this episode, we're going to be discussing Swarm. Um, so, yes, Swarm just came out, I believe, what, March 17th, co-created by Donald Glover and Janine Neighbors. Uh, of course, Donald Glover is the co-creator of Atlanta. Janine Neighbors also worked on Atlanta. And Swarm is basically about a killer, obsessed fan, obsessed with this artist named Nija, who is directly influenced by and connected to Beyonce in this real world. And to me, it's more than just, you know, her killing just because she is an obsessed fan. I feel like there's a lot of layers to it. And we're going to get into that in a second. But let's talk about like the background. How did it happen? Who's on the team? Who's on the staff? Who's starring? All of that. So Donald Glover saw a tweet from someone that he followed that said it's from a black woman. She was like, why are black women always represented as, you know, like the best friends? Why are we always the lawyers? Like, why can't we be murderers? So Donald Glover basically said, like, yeah, that's true. Why, you know, why why can't that be? Um, because, like, you see on TV, I feel like it's starting to change a little bit in terms of, like, the representation perception of black women on TV. We're talking about TV in particular, like, with Viola Davis, How to Get Away with Murder. She was, like... She was messy. She was she wasn't put together all the times. You know what I mean? A near sociopath, you might want to say that. I feel like Olivia Pope too. But Olivia Pope was very much put together. But and she had her flaws, but she was still like fiending over a white man. You know, you you get most black women on TV like nowadays, they're therapists, they're lawyers, they're they're best friends, they're confidants, they have everything put together. They're the voice of reason they're the ones that are the most competent in the room but how about we show black women that just people that are messy that do need help from others you know so i definitely feel like this show in particular to not just have a black woman that is a mess but to have her on a killing spree too we've never seen black women just going on killing sprees on TV, unless it's involved with a man, you know, it's always involved with a man or some type of romantic relationship. But this was different. This was different. And not only did, and Dominique Fishback plays the lead character, Dre, not only did she get to do that, but she got to show a range of her talent. She got to be a stripper. She got to be caught up in a cult was kind of an adolescent, like in the first episode, like she was able to tap into a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities. And I think it really showcased her in a great way, similar to how Michelle Yeoh was showcased in Everything Everywhere All at Once, how she played all these different types of characters and wasn't just typecast as this one thing. So I feel like that alone, aside from whether you watch it or not, that alone is breaking barriers in terms of representation and just opportunity for Black women on TV. Because, you know, it's, I can't even say it's not often. It's not even a thing to give Black women this type of 
these type of roles, you know, if they're not kindly or, you know, competent pretty much. So I just feel like for that alone, it is, I always call things like elevating or like elevation TV or elevation type of movies. And this was an elevating type of theories. The team on Swarm is pretty much the Atlanta uh, team. You had Donald Glover, Janine Neighbors as co-creators, directors, executive producers. You got Adama Ebo as the director. He also worked on Atlanta. You got Ibra Akei, Stephen Glover. You got Jamal Alori, Karen Joseph Attic, who wrote on the goof who sat by the door. And she also wrote the penultimate episode, uh, Falling Through the Cracks. And it was a similar uh, mockumentary type of, not mockumentary, but like faux documentary type of style. Uh, but she also worked as a writer on this show. And Malia Obama, who goes by the pen name of Malia Ann, worked on the show. But pretty much you can say most of the team, virtually most of the team, were from Atlanta. That's why you kind of, it's described tonally similarly tonally similar to atlanta and you saw like you had the comedy you had the the paranoia you had the horror you had the drama you had you know completely even though this one was kind of a cohesive story it was still taking you to different worlds even the concept of it being involved with not so much the music industry, but let's just say the music scene, in this case, in the perspective of a fan and not the perspective of a performer like Paperboy in Atlanta. We even see that as a, it's still in, I feel like it's still like in an Atlanta verse. It's, you know, it's in the South, it's in Houston, uh, the last episode's in Atlanta. So it's still in the South. The tone is very similar. It's still kind of about the, let's just say the music scene and it's a very contemporary show like Atlanta. And it's very, um, I wouldn't call it this one, Swarm. I wouldn't call it surrealist per se. But it's still in that border of just like warped realism, I would say. So, yeah, it's a whole different level of TV watching when you watch, you know, if you know Atlanta, you know it's a it's a different type of show. It's it, it's its own thing. Uh, you know, you even see Atlanta and Swarm are shot on film and it feels like a film. Each episode felt like a film. It felt even though it was one through line kind of of in terms of plot, each episode felt like its own contained film. To me. And I don't think I've ever saw, I honestly, besides Atlanta, like it, it just felt like the stakes were high in each episode. It felt large. I feel like in gravity and scope and it was a lot of shit going on in each, in every episode it was a lot of shit going on. It wasn't just like, okay, this happened, this happened, the episode's over. Like, I felt like they were able to fit in so much in each and every episode. Even the um, the cast, like similar to Atlanta, I feel like it, they're very strategic in choosing who they want as guest stars, who they want starring, who they, you know, they're very strategic. They're not getting like big names. They get people who work. And I feel like that's similar to Abbott Elementary where Quinta casted people that worked for the characters that that worked 
in terms of the show and its dynamic and its message and the tone and the personality she wanted. She could have got big name stars. You have an ABC network budget. D- Disney bought out ABC. Like you have a budget, but she got the people that worked. And I feel like similarly speaking, that's how Swarm was. You had people like, and I saw, uh, speaking of Abbott, a tweet from Cheryl Lee Ralph's son, Etienne. He was saying like, on Swarm, there's the daughter of a pop star. You got Paris Jackson, daughter of a pop icon. You have Chloe Bailey, who is the protege of a pop star, Beyonce, who this show is really influenced by. Uh, you have an actual pop star, Billie Eilish. So it, it, the 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 cast is very eclectic. Then you have Damson Idris. You got uh, Ricky Thompson, Roy Rory Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's little brother. You got Norm Lewis. You got Cree Summers. Uh, Kiersey Clemens, who may people may not know about. I didn't know about her until this show, but she played the detective uh, Loretta Green in Falling Through the Cracks, and she was, like, tremendous in that episode. Yeah, so you have a, 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 a range of talent that I feel like have different strengths and different diversities in the way they go about their performances and stuff. And then, of course, you have Dominique Fishback as the lead who showed her ass off in this series. Uh, I knew about her from Judas and the Black Messiah. She was good in that. But I feel like this was this was the thing that was like, oh, no, she is that. She is that. So it has me wanting to look at her past work. And I know some people may, this might be their first engagement with Dominique Fishback and I hopefully they do the same but she acted her ass off and uh if she doesn't get an Emmy I don't know what the fuck is going on actually I do know what the fuck is going on white supremacy but she deserves all the Emmys for this one because when I tell you she gave you comedy she gave you horror she get I'm looking at interviews with her now and I'm thinking shit is that Dre is should I tell her I, I love Nigel you know what I mean yes yeah, she they Pick the perfect person for that. And I feel like just with all that talent and then with the Atlanta team, I feel like it was a good move for Donald Glover and Janine Neighbors to get the Atlanta team because they know the tone. They know the weirdness that they want. They know the exact air that they're trying to create. And, you know, with Atlanta running for four seasons, they know exactly how to do that now. I feel like they are masters. They're, they're, they're masters at kind of that that black surrealism, black weird type of art. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I just absolutely love the direction that they took with this series. Now, let us talk about kind of just like the overview of what happened. I was thinking about doing an episode-by-episode episode review, but I feel like I would need someone to do that, I I feel like I can do the series review by myself. But episode by episode, I'm going to need someone. I can't just sit there and do that myself. Anyway, so like I said, the premise is about a young woman obsessed with a pop star. And the pop star's name is Nyjah, directly influenced by Beyonce. And Dre is a part of the swarm. And, you know, like in real life, the hive, you know, the swarm, get it? <laughs> and... Yeah, she just goes on this killing spree. Now, I'm going to kind of take you through kind of the the meat of the plot instead of an episode-by-episode type of thing. Let me know. Am I moving fast, y'all? Let me know. I'll I'll slow down if I'm moving fast. Anyway, 
Dre is, you know, this young woman. She lives with her sister, Marissa, played by Chloe Bailey. And they live together. They live pretty much a normal life, uh, trying to make ends meet. They share the same apartment. Uh, Marissa got a no good nigga. Dre is very obsessed with Nyjah. And, you know, things are so far like, okay, this is just a, a weird girl who has a deep obsession. Okay, cool. What's next? Until Marissa ends up dying by suicide because... She was trying to get to Dre, but she wasn't able to. And during that same night, Nyjah dropped Prize Album Festival, direct reference to, you know, when Beyonce dropped Beyonce out the blue. And with this album, it's about the infidelity of Nyjah's uh, husband, Caché, similarly to Beyonce and Jay-Z. I was trying to make Jay-Z and Caché rhyme, but it wasn't working. And Marissa, at the same night where Nyjah dropped the album, you know, uh, released the fact that Cachet was cheating on her. Marissa found out that her boyfriend, Khalid, played by Damson Idris, was also cheating on her real quick. Did y'all pause that scene with um, Khalid and Marissa? Because I did. I I I paused it. Not only did I pause it, paused it. Not only did I pause it, I I rewound it a little bit and I, I watched it and I I rewound it again and I paused it and I rewound it again and paused it and I rewound it again and paused it and then continued with the episode. I don't know if y'all did that, but yeah. Anyways, yeah. Marissa caught her boyfriend Khalid cheating. She ends up dying by suicide, and this takes. Dre on a spiral. Now, to get into the to get into the dynamics of the relationship, they are bonded, bonded by Nyjah, bonded by sisterhood. Marissa is the only person that understands Dre, the only person that sees Dre, stands up for her, protects her, loves her, cares for her. The only person. And we also see Marissa has a history of harming herself. We saw that scene with her in the wrist and you know, Dre is kissing it lovingly and stuff like that. I think it's borderline gay, not, <sighs> I, and I'm getting into, I'm going to get into that later, but I do think Dre, she hasn't unlocked, I don't want to use the word unlocked. She hasn't come into her full self yet, but I, it, it, I feel like that was a prelude to her queerness. I'm being funny, but you know, she, she's queer. She's, she's queer. She is, you know, she has, both of them have a deep bond, a deep bond. So when Marissa dies, it takes her on a spiral, a spiral. She's already really obsessed with Nyjah. She's already still, she's still using that, the, the Stan account that they used to use when they were younger. It seems like Marissa is at a healthy level a healthy obsession with Nyjah, trying to move on with her life as an adult, while Dre is still stunted as like an adolescent, as a kid, pretty much. What stunts her to me, psychologically stunts her, is she's still stuck on Nyjah. Nyjah is her everything. Nyjah is her everything. So now that Marissa passed, all she has is Nyjah, and I feel like that love gets amplified and mixed in with the grief. And it creates this killer, pretty much. 
and she goes after anything that threatens her love to Nyjah or is disrespectful to Nyjah and disrespectful by extension to Marissa. I feel like she treats Marissa and Nyjah the same and we'll see how that manifests later on. But she goes in a spiral. She 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 goes on a killing spree. She kills. She goes up, kills Khalid for, you know, cheating on her. And he also he says some shit about Nyjah. But he apologized. But it's definitely because uh, he, you can say, indirectly, directly led to Marissa uh, dying by suicide. So she kills Khalid. And that first, I also rewound it pause and rewound it for different reasons that ending scene of the first episode and i heard about it from reading this article but i didn't know what i it was gonna give and like i was like oh no this girl this she, she this girl's different like she she's different she's different i'm talking about dominique fishback and her performance like it was different. It, it it was it was different in a a very good way. Apparently, there was a three minute like ovation for her after that scene, and um, definitely well deserved. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, she goes on this killing spree, and she along the way she kills people like Haley, the 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 black stripper from the club. She kills Haley's abusive boyfriend Reggie. And with each murder, if you notice, she goes on a feeding frenzy. So with Khalid, she eats the pie. With Haley and Reggie, she immediately eats that sandwich. And it's usually junk food. It's usually not healthy food. I don't know if that's... It just seems like she has a a, a bloodlust. And that bloodlust is quenched by food or by her feeding frenzy mixed in with, you know, the blood that happens. So it's kind of similarly, similarly, similar to like, I don't know, a vampire or like, not a leech, but like a a a, a predator that has bloodlust and quenches that bloodlust, and I feel like she quenches it by eating. She she feeds her addiction by feeding herself. I feel like all of that is wrapped up uh, into that. So she despises healthy food. She loves junk food. She goes into feeding frenzies every time she kills. And her eating habits are 100% tied with her addiction to Nyjah and addiction, you could say, to love as well. And she just experiences these very, very, very intense emotions uh, with every every time she's about to kill someone we or, yeah, about to kill someone. We hear this buzzing sound. We hear these insect sounds in the background. I Not the buzzing sound, but I like the other insect sound. But we, it's like a tick. She's about to feed. She's about to kill. She's about to hunt. Anyone that is in her way, anyone that is disrespectful to Nyjah, trolls Nyjah, trolls Marissa, she goes out, hunts them, and kills them. And we, we see now that Marissa has become kind of this spirit through her phone she tells her what to do. At first, she literally texted herself and she found that Marissa's phone was in the closet in the first episode. But now we're seeing she's getting these like, she's imagining these texts from Marissa that's encouraging her to go kill or encouraging her to do certain things as if to say Marissa would have accepted her behavior if she was alive and would have been right with her if she was alive. And I think that kind of, helps her grieve Marissa because she still is connected to her in some way through her phone. 
And we see later on, you know, when she gets caught up in that cult, she has a very unhealthy addiction to her phone as well. Yeah. So, yeah, Dre, she is a, she, you can say, I don't know, not a socio. Yeah, you know, socio. I don't know the, the, the strict definitions between that. But overall, she's able to read people very well. She's able to slip into the roles that help her accomplish her goals very well she's able to be you know the gym buddy to the white guy she's able to just show up be a stripper she's able to just be anyone that she needs to be to accomplish her goals like i said but later on we see that she ends up actually meeting nija able to slip in uh some nigga that she used put him put him in the freezer he had a he had he also had a junk food addiction but she ends up at the party with Nija and we see once she sees her she goes up to her and like I really I had to to rewatch this a lot of times just to really get it in but like as soon as she goes up to her we see all of a sudden this tray of food comes uh by her and we see it's like a plum I think it's about like a plum or something and she goes up to it and just like and that's a stand-in for her feast on Nija. So, like I said before, her food is tied with her addiction and not just her bloodlust, but you could say her lust or love in general. Like it's it's tied with intense emotion. And when she sees Nija, she's overwhelmed by emotion to the point where she ends up going up to her and biting her and ends up running away. So yeah, we, we see that she's just uninhibited. She is addicted. She's addicted. She's addicted. I think that's how people should view it. It's a mix of love. It's a mix of grief. And it's a mix of addiction. And at least the addiction part and the love part, when uncontrolled, can definitely be directly related to just how stan culture is today. So she is definitely a great personification and like exaggeration because no you know we don't have stands going out killing people because you know they don't fuck with beyonce or nikki but they will dox them they will go through a lot of different measures uh harass them troll them bully them to make sure you get the point to not fuck with their star so it's i feel like it's kind of in that similar vein where you kind of just lose logic and you let passion take control and we see that with Dre throughout this whole series. But anyway, which I one part which I feel like was one of the one episode which I feel like was one of the most interesting episodes in the series was when she got caught up in that Billie Eilish, not Billie Eilish cult, but the cult led by Billie Eilish. That that was her character. And we get some insight into her past. We find out Dre lived with her grandmother early on and ended up hurting someone to the point where it seemed like there was a pool of blood involved and she tells her grandma like i'm sorry you know i spilled the milk spilled the milk and the milk ended up being blood and we don't know the exact details about who it was how it happened but we know that she's she's done this before this it, it wasn't like you know the death of marissa and the love for nyjah caused her to do these things it seems like not seems like it it, it is a fact that she's had history before of hurting other people. And this episode, I feel like, is one of the most important because the episode with, I think it's called Running Scared, but the cult episode, because 
now the viewers can sit and see her inner thoughts, her inner desires, what she thinks about her killing uh, other people and hurting other people. Because before, she's never really had any genuine dialogue with anyone yet. But this episode, we see her, what she thinks, how she thinks, uh, a little bit into her past. And yeah, I, 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 it, it gives a little more... A little more piece to the puzzle, a more, little more puzzles to the piece about her psyche and where she's at and what she thinks about herself as well. And I feel like at that moment, she's now finally aware, like, I'm a killer and I like it, you know, instead of before where she was just going on these string of killings, not sitting down, not processing it. But I feel like this time we get to breathe a little bit, see where her mind is at, see where she's going with this. Uh, the then the next episode, the fifth episode, uh, "Girl by," we see uh, who, written by Malia Obama. The phone stopped working, and like I said before, we see that is her connection to Marissa. And now that the phone is dead, it's like okay, now she's really by herself. Besides, and not just that, I think she has her own phone, but we see her phone is the way she connects, and the uh, the phone. She uses it to connect to Nyja. She uses it, you know, with the Swarm account. She uses that phone now to connect to Marissa. And now that the phone is dead, her connection is really gone. And we we only hear a little bit about Marissa's parents. And that was in the first episode where, and that's what confused me. And I'm sure confused the people first watching it when she went to Marissa's funeral and the family asked her to leave. But it's like, I thought they were sisters, you know? So it, Seems like this, it was her last resort. She tried going to the phone store and the guy, Ricky, the character, Kenny, played by Ricky Thompson, he was funny, uh, wasn't able to help her. And she also ends up running. It, it seems like this this fifth episode was kind of a back to ground zero. We see her talk to uh, Marissa's supervisor at the mall. She's going back to familiar spaces now. And now that her phone is dead, she goes back to Marissa's family home and we see that they are very hostile. They want to kill. Well, at least the father wants to kill her. The mom just seems completely numb. And both of them are completely convinced that she killed Marissa and she was a bad influence on Marissa. We don't know the truth of that yet until the next episode, but we see that they've always viewed Marissa as kind of this trouble child. It seemed like just the way they talk, uh, we, we hear that you know, she came up from the door and we, six episode, we see it makes more sense, but she was adopted by that family. You know, when you adopt, you get that check. And it seems like they were close to, you know, financial ruin pretty much. And uh, Dre coming along as a foster child, you know, they get that foster money, help them. But they figured that Dre was just a terrible influence and sometimes the money isn't worth it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Dre just wants the phone turned on and it just leads to a showdown between her and Marissa's father. And I think this was the moment where I felt sorry for her because it really, truly, it, it gives she wasn't understood at all, not even by her foster family. And we can assume her original family. And I think that's that's the episode where we really hone into, damn, Marissa was her only person. So now she has no connection to Marissa and she is left besides her connection to, you know, Twitter. 
she is really by herself. She at first she was imagining these texts and imagining, you know, Marissa was still alive. That's how she was coping. But now she's really, 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 really alone. And then we we kind of move on to the next episode, Falling Through the Cracks. And this was something that I completely did not expect. It's kind of in the similar style to The Goof Who Sat by the Door, where it was that kind of fake story about the Disney animator turned CEO. This one is kind of a mock you crime documentary where it's about Dre and Marissa, but we see the versions we've been watching was fictionalized. And in this like kind of pseudo reality, Dre and Marissa were real people. And we we get through the, the lens of this detective who kind of takes us on this journey behind like the pathology, or is that the right word? Maybe that's the right word. I don't know. But the, the past of uh, Dre and how, yeah, she was adopted and uh, she had a history of hurting people and it culminated into, you know, that sleepover with her and uh, Marissa's birthday sleepover where she hurt one of Marissa's friends and the friend had to end up being embraced for about a year and they ended up letting go of Dre. So she had to fend for herself after that. She lost Marissa and we see now in the first episode she lost Marissa again in a way. They were still connected, but I feel like that trauma probably of losing her again probably triggered her tendency to hurt, go and hurt other people. We also see she was a Nyjah fan uh, in the cold episode too. We see she was a Nyjah fan even before she met Marissa. And it, it was just, it, it had like from what the social worker said, it, it, it gave us more like pathos or more like emotion into feeling sorry for Dre. Like the social worker saying, you know, don't, label her as violent you don't you can't imagine what these foster kids went through you know what i mean mixed with what the detective said about black women falling through the cracks how the detective loretta green uh her superiors didn't believe that it was a black woman committing these crimes and i feel like at that moment that's when the series was saying black women are invisible and in a weird way that was a detriment to Dre, but a benefit to her in terms of going out and harming people because people weren't seeing her, you know, and throughout the series, people were using her as well, using her and not seeing her. So what does that leave you? No wonder why, you know, Andrea Dre had such an intense connection to Marissa because she was the only person in that world that saw her as a human being. And when that person was gone, it kind of dehumanizes you. Your humanity is gone. And I don't know. I felt like this was definitely a clever way to kind of take the absurdity, if you will, out of it. Because I know myself included was thinking, how is she getting away with all these murders? Like, what is going on? What is this series trying to say? Like, it can't just be about staying culture and just this woman going out and killing people. So I feel like that, that faux documentary really gave Dre as a human and gave reason and maybe even logic to what she was doing and had you thinking like this was a similar reality this is probably not going out killing people because of Nigel but like you know just if you're not understood if you're not treated like a human what do you think what do you expect I don't believe kids are guilty kids are born innocent 
But when you put them in an environment like Loretta Green says, she makes sure she nurtures her children because the world is out to make sure these kids don't succeed. So if you don't have someone that's actively protecting you, actively loving you, you fall through the cracks, like what she said. So I feel like this kind of was a good full circle. It was kind of, it, it, it was a little confusing. I had to really watch it again, but I think it gave structure to the series and it gave kind of like a a shape, a shape to what this show was trying to say, I feel like. Then after that episode, the last episode, we see Dre is a whole different person. She uh, now, I thought she was just straight up gay, but it seems like she goes by Tony, is a whole different person. And I would assume it's because now that, that Dre was alone, maybe she was finally able to grow up and mature and be who she really wanted to be without kind of that obsessive attachment to Marissa and maybe by extension, Nyjah. So, and I also feel like her being exposed to that cult where we saw like uh, Eva, who was the cult leader, you know, kissed her. She saw uh, Eva was kissing another woman. And at first she was like a little uncomfortable by it, but we see little cues throughout like that Dre might be queer. And I feel like this manifest in the last episode. We see like, yeah, she's also now calm. She's more assured of herself. She's awkward, but not in, in like a spacey way. Like she, she kind of knows what she's doing. She seems like Dre has grown up and this grown up version is now Tony. But we see Tony still has a deep love for Nyjah. Once he finds out, not even finds out, but once Rashida, uh, his girlfriend, just shits on Nyjah, he ends up killing her and goes back to his ways. And at the end, we see Dre slash Tony got the ending that they always wanted with them being embraced by Nyjah and embrace embraced with by a fusion of Nyjah and Marissa. Because I do feel like I was reading a or I think it was Variety, or maybe it was Vulture. But anyway, I was reading, you know, Dre views Marissa in a way as a human avatar of Nyjah. That's why she experiences the same feelings about Marissa as she does towards Nyjah. And I feel like because she grew up without love. And we saw she says she doesn't pray anymore in the cold episode. And she realized that God was an echo. I think she transferred her spirituality and her love and her sense of the world onto Nyjah and kind of projected that onto her. Nyjah represents God. Nyjah represents love. Nyjah represents everything. Nyjah is everything to her. It This love kind of obviously gets obsessive, gets unhealthy, gets addictive. And I think once she meets Marissa, who becomes a sister to her, she transfers that projection onto Marissa as well. So yeah, I feel like that's pretty much, that was, that was it in a nutshell, the series in a nutshell. Um, Like I said, overall, I really love it. I do feel like the Tony transformation needed more time and space because I feel like when you're talking about trans people, if Tony is actually a trans person, 
because it still seems like there's some ambiguity to whether that if Tony's a trans person or if she's just presenting as masculine, like I still feel like that needs more weight and more time and energy and it can't just be flip flop because I can see that it's already rubbing some people kind of the wrong way, especially I didn't view it in this way, but it seems like some reviews are saying like, oh yeah, because now it's confirming the, I feel like these are white people saying it though. It's confirming the stereotype that, you know, the, the, the gay and confused person becomes, you know, killer or becomes crazy and delusional. Like I didn't take it as that, but I do think there needs to be some type of space given towards the exploration of how she just all of a sudden became Tony. She was definitely switching aliases and stuff. That's different. But her switching her whole gender, it's like, huh? How did we get from there to there? Like, I, I knew she was queer, but how did we get to her changing her gender? You know what I mean? So I felt like that was just kind of out of the blue. I, I don't know. Was she trying to not get found? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I like. I don't know. And I feel like the fact that you leave confused, I don't know. I just feel like it all wrapped up pretty like abruptly for me. And the series definitely could have used maybe one or two more episodes for sure. But overall, I, overall, I really liked it, particularly just speaking to horror and just the thriller culture. I feel like with violence, we only see that channeled through white men. We only see that channeled through men in general we i mean black men get to be violent black men get to be i mean outside of black men being depicted as thugs or gangsters outside of those roles because those are still boxed in roles there are a lot of roles like you know blade uh django uh the equalizer will black men get to kick ass and get to i mean even though those aren't so much like quote unquote villainous roles but i feel like it's more normal to have a black man in a anti-hero role killing people you know what i mean than a black woman because black women are expected to be a certain way they're expected to know what to do they're expected to be put together they're expected to be kind they're expected to be gentle but then also uh uh powerful but you know what i mean i feel like this character of dre literally got to be whatever she wanted to be and for that to be in a kind of a horror thrill, whatever you want to call it, I feel like is very, very special. And it's evolving TV. Like I said, this is an eleva- this is an elevating type of series. So I feel like, like I said before, that's breaking a lot of barriers. Uh, the fact that now we get to see violence portrayed differently outside of Dexter, outside of you, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I feel like, And we're getting now in the 2020s, we're getting roles now where it's literally stories that are created by us, directed by us, written by us, by us, I'm talking about Black people, um, produced by us, you know, showcased by us in ways that are dimensional and not just a sideline or an extension of a white character. You got shows like, of course, Atlanta. You got shows like P-Valley. We got Swarm now. We got Abbott Elementary, that we are the center of these stories. And we 
are seeing that it's worthwhile and it's meaningful for us to be censored and it's okay for us to take up space. It's okay for us to showcase us in in dark lights, positive lights, a mixture of both. Like it's okay. It's okay. It's okay now. And I feel like this decade, even though with a lot of shit going on, I do feel like it's a very empowering decade, specifically for black people, specifically for queer people. We're still dealing with a lot of shit, these anti-trans laws, just ignorance all around. But I do think in terms of TV and film, barriers are being broken. Representation is being on the forefront and we are evolving as a society, hopefully. I don't know if I'm being too idealistic, but hopefully I do feel like that is kind of the trajectory we're going through based on the programming that we're watching nowadays. But overall, like I said, I loved it. I would say my takeaways are if you all already watched or haven't seen this, I don't know if you have, but I will say my takeaways are like, don't view it as a simple, this is just about staying culture. View it like what Chloe Bailey said, view it as a mixture between a girl, a woman going through grief and love for her sister. And, you know, just the driver, the motivating force of that. Yes. It's Nyjah. It's about, you know, Beyonce and the stand culture. That's what makes it contemporary. That's what makes it relevant. That's what makes it interesting, action-packed, if you will. But at the end of the day, the core is about a woman that is un- misunderstood, has been misunderstood all her life, and someone who lost a sister. And it manifests, her love and grief manifests in this killing spree. I feel like if you view it like that, like more with more dimensions and just a uh, woman just going out killing people, I feel like you would enjoy it more if you don't enjoy it already. Um, And I would say convey that to other people that are also interested. Also, I would say if you see a review by a white person, don't take it. Don't like, what's the, what's the phrase? Take, Take it with a grain of salt because I feel like there's only but so far they can view the dimensions of certain things when it comes to our stories even some of the reviews I see, like I, some of them, they have a point, but particularly the ones, the white reviewers, I'm just like, no, this isn't what they were trying to say, or no, it's much deeper than that, or no, or they focus too much on the Beyonce of it all. You know what I mean? So I would say that for, as a takeaway, like only look at shit that black people are saying about this show, specifically black women. Like even with me, I would have loved to have somebody that wasn't, you know, just a black man like me talking about this show about this black woman. You know what I mean? So even with me, like I can only reach so far in terms of like critiquing this type of story. So, um, yeah, those are my takeaways. Definitely go watch Swarm and look out for next episode. I have a bonus episode about Swarm coming up. It should be cute, a little fun, informative, I would say. But yeah, just be on the lookout, tell everybody about this podcast, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. (laughs) Bye. Who's your favorite artist?